Welcome back to the Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Ryan Bell. Ryan is the owner of Vim Labs and Vim Social. By day, he provides affordable web maintenance, design, and marketing for small businesses. By night, he works on side hustles and practical passion projects. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Great to be here. Absolutely, man. Yeah, let's kick this off. When did you first become interested in programming? Oh, man. I've been a nerd from <laughs> as long as I can remember. Like going back, I'm maybe seven years old on a black and white DOS screen typing basic. Nice. And that's where I kind of found the passion was just, uh, you know, all these little conditionals and then just uh, seeing if I could get my family members to step in and play with this you know, dinky <laughs> program. Nice. But from there, you know, the wheels are turning. You can kind of see uh, like a future in this. Yeah. Dang, that's, that's cool, man. And it's, it, that's, uh, then you're just off to the races, I guess. Oh, yeah. You're like looking at the source code for Nibble, just trying to figure out, like, how did they do this? You know, <laughs> and back then it's way over your head, but you can kind of just look at it and kind of see there's something there. Yeah, man, that's awesome. What would you consider your first software development success? Mm, let me think. Going back, it was maybe high school. I had a weird situation where I started at one school that was like right down the street from my house, but then I was accepted into a tech magnet school. Okay. And cool. then when I got in there, because I was a late transfer, it was a weird thing where they put me in like a senior projects class. So I'm a <laughs> freshman coming in halfway, stepping into a senior class. And because it was so kind of open-ended, yeah. I jumped on Frogger as nice. just like my senior project as a freshman. <laughs> and I had a working implementation and that led to like a, a small like internship at a university. Nice, man. So yeah. Well, that was the first thing where I was like, I just jumped in, I just picked something random and it, it worked. Man, that's awesome. I mean, what more could you ask for, you know? It was so <laughs> cool <laughs> because the classes were so packed. They just had to put me somewhere. Yeah. I was just the only place where there was room. Nice, man. That's, that's cool. That's a cool story. Um, it, regarding your business, I was curious, why do customers like to do business with you? You know, in this business, one thing that's kind of off is the ability to keep a line of communication between your web developer or your web designer and yourself. So one thing I can provide is I'm always here and I'm yeah. easy to reach. But so often you'll jump on a project and you'll just hear like, the last guy disappeared, you know? He started on our website, he had all these great ideas. We sent him the check and it's been a few months, we haven't heard anything. Wow. So, I mean, that's actually like really common is that line of communication disappearing. Wow, so just a little bit of integrity, uh, a little sure. bit of work ethic. Yeah, whatever you wanna call it, just uh, <laughs> focus. Yeah, dang, that's, that's crazy, man, but uh, it works. People love you for that, so excellent. I do what I do. <laughs> uh, what is your message to someone that struggles with perfectionism? That's a good question. Like, <laughs> there's this inner struggle between how you want something to turn out and how you, like, how you envision this end product, like being distributed and everyone using it this certain way. Yeah. And sometimes if you keep that goal rather than being flexible, you end up just kind of continually 
redeveloping and redesigning and refactoring where I've kind of learned to just try to get something out there and then see how the world accepts it and then be flexible enough to kind of pivot and develop around how they see themselves using this product. Hmm. But for so, me, there's that struggle of like, I want it to work this way and I'm going to have, you know, this <laughs> login form to this, you know, pixel accuracy. And yeah. at that level, you can really spend a lot of time just working on things that are maybe insignificant in the long haul. Yeah. What, what is your experience with like, maybe, maybe you're trying, you're like, okay, this is probably good enough to release to the wild. And then the customer gets their hands on it and they're like, oh, this is amazing. Like, what is your, what, like, does that have, like, is your uh, judgment of like, what's good enough versus what they perceive as amazing? Like, right. Is that like a, like, are you really far off the mark or like you're there over was, delivering? Like, right, how do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was this competition recently. It's like a pioneer tournament and approaching it almost from like a tech first problem. I thought it would be really cool to try to revamp messaging. So I mean, it's one of these things where it's a problem that's maybe not in search of a solution or maybe not even really a problem, but <laughs> I had the idea of it would be really cool if we could strap on like uh, cryptocurrencies to where you would have to pay some fee to send a message. And then as soon as the person received the message, they would refund it. And then now you've prevented spam because any unwanted message has a fee attached to it. Or even if someone sends you an email you didn't really want, you might not refund their fee. So it's yeah. free messaging for all who are sending, you know, meaningful, appropriate messages and then expensive for anyone else. And it turns yeah. out like, it's just a pain to use and no <laughs> one wants to pay this fee to use the thing. Yeah. So now I've had to pretty much remove all of that. And then the idea now is to create a site where you can just open this conversation on any URL. Hmm. And that seems to be pretty cool. So it's this thing where I had this initial vision of we're going to remove spam and provide meaningful conversations in this way. And then now it's kind of pivoting to like, we need to make this as simple as possible. No Ethereum, no Web3, no IPFS, just, you know, type in the URL and then now you're, you're talking with others. Huh. Wow. That's uh, an example, but. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So just. But I had this vision where it's going to be really cool and we're going to have all this new technology it's going to use the interplanetary file systems, these peer-to-peer -peer networks, and then we'll layer on, you know, Ethereum so I can tip certain messages that come through. And then all you have to do to use this is go to your bank, convert your dollars to Ether, get the Ether in the system, go online, change those to our tokens, put those in your MetaMask wallet, send your message with a cryptographic hash, and then now you have, you know, spam-free messaging. Simple, simple uh, process, yeah. yeah exactly. So <laughs> that was kind of a nightmare. And then I, I blew months on that and then just scrapped the whole thing. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it is kind of an interesting, uh, like you got to, you got to work with like the low level of these smart contracts and stuff. Like oh, yeah. This stuff will probably pay dividends. It's just, it hasn't manifested yet. Is, is kind yeah, of it's my, finding the right problem where it actually fits. Yeah. You know, it's such like this, like sparkly new technology that you just want to find some way to put it somewhere. Yeah. In so many places, it just ends up being kind of cumbersome. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I, that's kind of been my, um, like I, I've dabbled with that stuff a little bit and it's just kind of like, yeah, how, how will anybody, 
I don't, it just mainstream is so confusing to me. Like how that would it even happen? I don't know. I'm open-minded to it, but I'm, yeah. I'm confused like, with how hey, it would work. You try to explain to like your grandmother how to use this thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Browser extensions. Yeah, and like, why would you do that? You know, who does this? Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I work in oil and gas and I could see a lot of, um, from like an automation standpoint and yeah. a, an accounting, like accounting is a huge situation. Like even just the audits in oil and gas, like if you could just somehow save them time with the right. audits. Yeah. So I, I don't know, just throwing, throwing it out there, but all right. Yeah, <laughs> We're on the same page. Yeah. It's, We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out a good use case. Yeah, someone will figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it'll be us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would you say uh, is the big pivot uh, people in your shoes are having to make right now with the whole coronavirus in full swing? And the servers are down. You know what I mean? Just uh, across the board, just business is down. Like yeah. one site I was building was for a local jeweler. And nobody right now is buying jewelry, you know? Yeah. And I'm doing a, right now that I'm jumping on is for a, like a local uh, testing facility. So they're going to try to roll out to uh, different providers. So hmm. we're setting that up and then trying to get like a live chat thing built in there. So I can kind of work a little bit of this in there to where we can try to get a, like telemedicine function. Yeah. Man, it's, it's wild. Um, but yeah, so, as far as advice, it's, um, I mean, it's still now you start to go back on your referral network and just, uh, you know, how you help mm -hmm. who you know that needs help. Yeah. And, and you, uh, dabble, well, maybe dabble isn't the right word, but social media, like you help people like that's actually like a, like a, a piece of your offer, right? Yep. Yeah, so, it's really, I mean, so much of that, it's just about, I mean, it's the quality of the content, but it's really just the quantity and yeah. just staying visible. Mm. And for that, it can be a, a full-time job. Like we manage a, a local a restaurant chain around here and it's just letting people know that we're here, you know, you can get takeout right now or, uh, you know, we can deliver. Yeah. So, but otherwise so, you might not know that options even there if we're huh. not hitting you, you know, every week just saying, Hey, <laughs> you know, we have great food. Please stop by. Yeah. So it's just, uh, lots of repetition, like, uh, painting, just making sure like you're like, uh, omnipresent, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's kind of so distracted and there's so many things coming at you from so many different angles that yeah. it's just about, um, kind of sticking with your community and then just being visible. Yeah. And, and, and that's just one service we provide is, um, just that messaging. Oh, okay. Um, is it with the, with the whole coronavirus thing is, are people deploying capital into ads still? Or like, what is your recommendation with that? Like stick to it, even though it's tempting not to, or. I mean, it really just depends on, on your business. Okay. Like right now for the restaurants, it's uh, a unique point that we're able to convey just that we haven't closed. Yeah. You know, as far as, um, those go, but I can see some other business like the jewelry shop, like we're closed, you know, we yeah. don't necessarily need to be spending money on ads right now. Yeah. It, it almost seems like a, like, um, like if you're trying to get market share or ad 
like it'd be really easy to get the the market share of the ads right now because maybe a lot of people are I don't know I I don't know if that makes sense like but I could see that like some somebody rationalizing like hey no jewelers are advertising right now let's right let's buy it up yeah yeah it's, I guess it's that kind of long vision that the long game of just mm-hmm. thing and connection yeah what a what a conundrum man yeah yeah <laughs> let's it's see here's uh, what what has been your biggest learning moments operating a web design and social media ad company? You know, I mean, the technology changes so fast. So a lot of it is just keeping with that grind of continued education. So mm. where I started was in radio. And in radio, there was this peak and then this really quick tail of it pretty much just dropping off the earth. Hmm. So it's being flexible enough to pivot when you need to in kind of the ad space of like right now we're going to put all our money and all of our attention here, but possibly soon it won't be Facebook. Maybe it'll be, you know, TikTok or it'll be LinkedIn is actually kind of growing a lot lately. Hmm. So it's kind of that flexibility that you have to kind of keep. Yeah. Wow. I mean, how do you, how, like, is it just being out there, being in the, in the war zone or how do you even like learn about it? it it's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is that to me. for sure. It's um, staying active in these different places and then just kind of following the numbers and then just speaking with uh, whoever you can, who's using it and where they're putting their attention. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. It sounds like maybe uh, I have like a, a like a, a young niece and nephew, like a couple of teenagers. So you can kind of just see like what social media platform are you using right now? Like, <laughs> what are you looking at? And it's, you know, it's not Facebook. It's right now it's like Instagram for them. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's some ninja. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Makes sense, man. Yeah. Um, what are some tools that you recommend for someone with no social network, but they're trying to get, clients for programming projects and either like web design or another niche? You know, it's, it's a hard thing. I mean, so much of it is still, it goes back to who you know and who you're able to connect with and who you're able to get a good referral from. Mm. So social media is nice because you can build that up pretty quickly. Although now with these kind of platforms starting to overflow, it's harder to jump in and really build that like you once were. Like when I jumped on Twitter, it was pretty easy in the beginning to build up, you know, 5,000, 10,000 connections where now they've really scaled that visibility back for everyone. So in a lot of ways it's jumping on the next new frontier or whatever that is. And then getting there first and making these connections and putting your best foot forward with the work you're able to showcase. So then I guess it comes back around though. Like, what do you do if you don't have that social media network? And it's like, you got to build that network. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, hopefully just get your work out there and get some high fives for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually that was a, another question I had cause the freelancing experience that I had, uh, I found a lot of success in face to face. So yeah. I never did the, like I made all the money that I yeah, could handle. So back to that. Yeah. It's, um, you did a site for this guy. He liked it. He talked to this other guy and now you have another gig. Yeah. So don't, I mean, like, it's pretty easy. Well, I just reflect on my own situation. It's like, 
pretty easy for me to just hide behind a computer screen and be like, oh, I'm going to try and drum up some business, but you need to get out yeah. there and, and yeah. oh. unfortunately it's still face to face. It's the nerd dream that we're going to be able to just, you know, opt into all these job offers and then just check your email, but it's so yeah. much, uh, just work on the ground. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so happy that, uh, you know, the audience can hear that from another, another person. Cause I hammer on that quite a yeah. bit. So it's good to have some validation. Uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, yeah. I mean, if someone <laughs> can build that machine where these job offers just come through, I'm, you know, I'm at the door. Yeah. So I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are all these sites you go to and it's, you know, findremotework.com and not that that's the actual site, but you find these sites and you can apply to hundreds and hundreds of different companies, but it's yeah. still not as effective for your time. It's just, speaking with your local businesses and seeing how you can help them. Yeah. I, I love that, man. I love that approach. Um, what are some strategies that you recommend for figuring out what real value looks like for a customer that maybe you've never served before or like a group of people that you've never served before? There's this, there's this moment called like the magic moment where people are, using whatever you provide for them. And in the middle of that, they're pleasantly surprised at what you're able to deliver. And it's that moment where you really hook someone and it's figuring out some way that you can incorporate these into whatever it is you're creating that just makes your customer feel good about it. And it's something that they'll share and they'll remember whatever that little thing is, you know, if it's, I just designed your website and here's this little button at the bottom where you can open up, you know, a live chat and it just works. And then suddenly they're talking with you on their website and yeah. just light bulb goes off and it's a magic moment. <laughs> so if you can deliver those and think about how you can engineer those into whatever it is you're doing, mm. you can really provide some cool value. Yeah. But I mean, I can't say what that is for whatever you're doing, but it's, <clears throat> it's that kind of like, magic moment search search those things out i guess yeah that's yeah <clears throat> that's cool man magic moments all righty what excites you most about quantum ai the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> i mean just uh, i mean it's quantum and it's artificial intelligence what happens when you combine the two and i don't think we know you know yeah. It's hard to look at any deep AI system and fully comprehend what it's doing. The same yeah. way it's hard to look into any quantum process and fully understand what it's doing. And the future of when you can combine those two together is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Like we're talking like completely new materials and room temperature superconductors and it's going to be wild. Hopefully, uh, the good. You've seen the show Devs. No, I, no, I haven't. Oh, uh, you got to tune in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check it out. They, um, one thing that I've heard about quantum AI, like people are afraid that maybe it'll it'll break the RSA. Sure. Encryption. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, Shor's algorithm, or uh, what's the other one, Grover's. So both of those are different ways you can kind of crack this prime factoring problem. But yeah. I mean, we have new 
cryptographies that we can use after that or different um, signing mechanisms and different encryptions we can use. Mm -hmm. They're just a whole lot less efficient. So yeah. kind of waiting until you see that kind of horizon of quantum AI or just uh, quantum computers coming on the scene and then everybody can switch. You just hope that that doesn't like sneak up and then suddenly, you know, all the Bitcoins are gone. Yeah, that would be, that would be atrocious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's gone. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, hopefully the good guys figure that out before the bad guys do. Sure. <laughs> what, uh, what do you see on the horizon for the quantified self? You know, I'm big on this space. I got one of these, uh, aura rings. Yeah. So, yeah. You got one. I got, I got, I'm, I'm sizing hey, it right now. You're in the same club. Yeah. Right on. Power rings. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, I think it's going to be really cool once you have that kind of data. And then if you can find some way to make it actionable, mm. it should be uh, very helpful. Yeah. There's, I've, I've heard a lot of excitement around, um, uh, personalized medicine and that sort of thing. Like yeah. it, it almost seems like, there's just unlimited uh, opportunity for innovation in this space. And it would be fun to just be a part of that, I think. Sure. Yeah. I really like the idea of if there's some way to anonymize your data and then get that out there. One of these recent courses I took was a, like a machine learning course with Siraj Raval. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges was just doing um, like chest x-ray diagnoses for pneumonia. Yeah. And you could see that this could scale or be applied to, you know, a million different things. But the problem is really just getting your hands on that training data. Yeah. And like all of these different problems that can be tackled with AI are predicated on access to that data affordably. So if there's some way that people can put that out there and then get some kind of dividend on that, it would really be cool. Yeah. Ooh, that that definitely opens up a can of worms with, um, Oh yeah. Privacy concerns and yeah. <laughs> providers and insurance rates and, you know? Yeah, man. But it, it would, I mean, you've got to figure out an incentive yeah. to get the training data and, um, yeah. man, you like Yuval Noah Harari, he speaks <laughs> about like, once we get this data out there, like the, uh, the platforms learn more about you than you might know about yourself. Oh, wow. So it's like a, a double-edged sword of learning more of yourself through your own data, but not having that data, you know, be side-streamed into these kind of profitable platforms where they can use that for their own goals. Yeah. And I wonder with your experience with these distributed computing uh, things like Ethereum or things built on Ethereum, do you see maybe there's a way to like anonymize the data that way I mean, there's there's like homomorphic encryption where you can more or less obfuscate someone's data mm -hmm. and then distribute that like there's a, a competition right now it's numer.ai and it's like a, a hedge fund and what they do is they try to anonymize all of their features so you're just looking at like this um just like this table of different floating values and you have no idea what they actually represent Mm -hmm. But it's enough to where if you see this training set and this validation set, you can try to come up with some kind of like 
decision boosted tree model that will correlate the two. And then they'll use that to drive their investment decisions. Oh, wow. Uh, problem with it being so obfuscated is you can't really make any meaningful insights on the data. Yeah. So you're really just stuck with this black box optimizer that you have to use where in some cases you don't want it to be encrypted and you don't want it to be obfuscated so that you can really see the actual numbers and then engineer features or have a model that better represents the information. Hmm. So it's, it's tricky both ways. Like you want it to be like encrypted, but you don't. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh, I don't, I don't even know how to, right. it's just like my brain is just scrambled thinking about yeah. it. Like, like, yeah. You want, you want to pay like fair dividends on it, but you could also see like if a hundred thousand people contribute to this data set, you know, if you paid everybody a dollar, it's a hundred thousand dollar data set. And, neither parties are happy with paying a hundred thousand dollars for this data or getting paid $1. So it's a hard thing to do of like, how do you scale the rewards? How do you engineer that game? Man, that's a, it sounds like a fun, it sounds like a fun task. I've often just, just going like off, just off the cuff here. I often thought it would be kind of cool to do something with um, like receipt data and actually get like real, like the government says like, oh, um, this is the consumer price index. Well, you know, we all actually have the data for the stuff that we buy. Like, could it just be cool to manufacture like a real consumer price index where we get to choose like what goes into that metric and then anonymize it a certain way where like, but also incentivize people where they would get paid by having, um, you right. know, like they contribute data to this, but then like Budweiser would be like, Ooh, we want to market to these people. So you'd be like, yeah, let's take Budweiser's, uh, you know, contributions and distribute it amongst the, uh, contributors. I don't know. It's a, it's definitely like a half baked idea, but I have <laughs> thought about this There's and there. yeah, we, it would, uh, anyway, if it, it yeah, we should keep the lines of communication open here because I, I think we're on the same wavelength with the yeah. something. Yeah, and this narrow edge of how do you use people's information to provide both value to them specifically and that greater you know, ad network. Yeah, yeah, and it's... I mean, because in the end, like, everybody has their own business they're trying to, like, trying to get out into the world. Yeah. So they're at it from both ends. Like they are the advertiser because they want to promote themselves and their business, but they're also the person seeing the ads. So how do you kind of play both sides and keep everybody happy? Yeah, man, there's a comp compensate them. Uh, maybe a little Robin hood action. Like if you could, you know, like get them on board, like, yes, we're going to, you know, Facebook's not getting the Budweiser money anymore or whatever. Like, I don't think Budweiser can advertise on there, but you know, kind of like, anyway, that's my, that's my world domination plans in a nutshell. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, how did you develop the strategy for building uh, one to two fun side projects with the goal to get enough at bats to perhaps get one off the ground in the next five years? Like where, how did you come up with that strategy? That's cool. What I'm trying to do is pivot away from, I mean, as much as fun as it is doing these sites for local businesses, like I really want to work on some cool passion projects and then just figure out some way to be able to put all of my energy into those. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So if I'm able to get enough of that out there, I'm hoping that by just getting enough kind of times at bat, one of these would be a home run. Yeah. So right now, the one I'm working on is that site I mentioned earlier, uh, Convo. So it'll be convo.com, C-O-N-V-D-O. So this is going to be a site where you can be on any place in the web and you'll run this through Convo and then now you're connected with everyone else who's on that page through this provider. Hmm. So if you're reading a Medium article and you go, hey, you know, I wonder what other people are thinking about this right now, you can hit the button and then now it's everyone who's on this Medium article discussing this. Or I can search for, you know, let's say a, a book that I'm reading. And then now I can be connected with anyone else who's on this chapter through this QR code. It's an interesting idea taking this web experience of me looking at this page and then seeing these kind of flat comments to me being in a room with everyone who's at the same place. Yeah. Right now you can't see anyone who's really on the page unless they embed their own, you know, widget that provides the service. But even then, almost all of these widgets right now just connect you with the person who owns the site, you know, so they can sell you. Yeah. The idea here is opening up that experience to everyone else who's there. Yeah. It's so like I want a to do just a bunch of stuff like that and then try to get these out there. Yeah, no, that's a cool idea, man. It's like uh it's like you're wrapping up the the internet in this yeah. like like now, yeah, dang, that's cool. The more I think about it, I'm like, dang, that's cool, man. Yeah. Uh I hope I hope that catches on. Um it's it shifts the power. Sure, yeah, you, <laughs> you gotta try. Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's it's hilarious, man. Oh man. Yeah. You're that's, that's really cool. Um, when vetting ideas for side projects, what does your ideation process look like? There's two angles. One is a lot of fun and one is very practical. Yeah. So from the fun side, it's cool to just see whatever the latest tech is and whatever the latest frameworks are jump in there and then just start mashing stuff together and then see where that leads. And sometimes it's really cool. Like you're taking IPFS and Ethereum and MetaMask and all these new technologies. And then you're trying to come up with some way to create you know, a smart contract that takes something like medium and then now removes medium and then just does this peer to peer distribution of content with, you know, content creators and curators getting paid fairly. But on the other hand, like there's this practical side of realizing like there's this actual problem and I'm going to try to solve it with these steps and these will be the metrics that I use to quantify that success. And then I expect to hit this first iteration by this date. And if I can capture those metrics and if I can deploy that and then if I can look at all the data, then I'm able to determine whether I should keep proceeding with this idea versus scrap the entire thing. Yeah. But that's nowhere near as fun as just taking all this new tech and just mashing it. Yeah. So yeah. those are kind of my two angles that I find myself, you know, headed towards. Yeah. How how long would you say you've been like practicing this? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's always the steady gig of, you know, we're going to advertise, you know, these uh, these local businesses and these bands and we're going to help them you know, with their branding and their imaging and get their music out there. But then there's also this 
you know, side hustle that's just kind of ongoing and the wheels are always kind of churning. Yeah. Oh man, that's cool. I think you're going to be, you're positioned really well though, because you're in tune with like one of the most important things of business, which is marketing. Like you, you can have a great idea, but if you don't know how to get yeah. that out there to people, so it's like a fresh coat of paint on it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's cool, man. Um, okay. So when you look back on the trajectory of your current grind in 10 or 15 years, what do you think you'll be most proud of? Hopefully just staying true to this process and finding that it leads to something. Meaningful. Yeah. Billion dollar ideas by sure. the handful. <laughs> yeah. Zero. <laughs> I'd be happy with non-zero. <laughs> nice. Uh, what metrics do you use when evaluating what food to consume? Cause I know you nerd out on this too. I do totally nerd out on this stuff. So I'm one of these guys where I'll randomly just go on PubMed and then just like search by recent publication and then just throw some random ingredient there and then just nerd out on, you know, all the different like flavonoids and bioflavonoids and polyphenols and kind of just nerd out on that for a minute. So a lot of what I eat is just um, clean and rich in these things. Okay. I thought it would be cool if you could take a website like Chronometer and then allow people to, you know, just throw your food log through there and then it's just going to hit you with all these studies. So every day you're seeing like, you know, wow, I ate blueberries today and that's, you know, rich in these cyanidins or whatever they're called and these things promote, you know, arterial health. Hmm. And you could just kind of hit people with that and kind of uh, just kind of re-educate people on how these... Uh, different factors really affect the way you feel. Hmm. Yeah. The alternative, I guess would be like, if you're eating uh, slimy, yeah, you might not like what you see, yeah. but, but uh, something tells me that the person that's nerding out on that is not eating slimy burgers. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but it's it, bias. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a man. You're uh, you're certainly like a unlimited ideas guy. Like I'm, I'm just like I'm feeling the vibes. There's <laughs> there's no shortage of ideas there, man. That's cool. No. Uh, let's see here. What what were the lessons that you learned on the transition to digital media during the uh, 2008 economic crash? It was a bad time to be in radio. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Um, my family, like we, uh, we're all kind of like doing this artist thing where we all have these little projects we're working on. And together we worked under this umbrella of a music production corporation. So I studied music composition in college and I was doing these ads for um, different jingles and stuff like that. Okay. And as kind of the market fell out from under us, you really had to, learn to think quickly and just find another way to grab onto something and make that your new business. So yeah. from there we jumped straight into web. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, that I, I just look back on that time. I don't think it wasn't easy for anyone. I guess adaptability is super critical. Like what you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Hmm. Cool. What excites you most about the interplanetary file system? 
it's a really cool idea. So right now when you go to different websites, like if I'm going to name your favorite domain.com slash some subdirectory slash some file, what I'm telling my browser to do is to, you know, look up the IP of, or look at the address for this domain, like through the DNS server, and then go to this server, this cluster of servers and grab this thing from that location. Where with IPFS, we're saying, here is the content that I want. Here's how that content can be mapped to a, like a hash. And then now I'm not saying go to Google and get this page, but I'm saying go all across the internet and any peer on the internet who can give me a chunk of this, I'll accept it from, and then I'll reconstruct it on my end. And then now you have this um, just like a mesh content delivery network. And it's a cool idea of how you can make the internet more robust and you can provide better uptime and all the things we care about about the web. <laughs> but it also has this, um, this downside to it, which is if I'm always requesting things specifically by what I'm asking for, then I can't ask for the latest thing with that just on its own. Like I can't say, give me the latest update on this blog because I'm saying, give me this article exactly, which calculates this hash. So then you need these other layers that can try to look that up and then distribute that. But it's a, a cool idea of how you can change like the fundamentals of how content is delivered to people on the internet. Hmm. Yeah, it's cool too, because it's like, a, it's protocol agnostic. So if you don't have access to, let's say HTTP, you can get it over Bluetooth. And oh, weird. there's all of these like fallback mechanisms that are really cool. Yeah. Huh. It sounds like it'd work really well for like static assets or something like that. Totally, where you'd, yeah. you'd want this, but um, yeah, the whole, like if there was some way you could do like a fuzzy search on a hash or, so, or like some kind right, of, yeah, yeah. That, none of that's been worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that, not requesting the exact thing. It becomes really difficult to get something else. Mm, but I'm yeah, sure that'll get figured out. Yeah. The, you might've just actually answered this, the next question here, which is what is stopping it from becoming more mainstream? And that what you just described is certainly an aspect of that. Sure. I mean, you can kind of layer it again with like something like Ethereum to where I can have some smart contract that is a pointer to mm. wherever I want to go. And then I can say, you know, get me the latest thing at this pointer and then I can update that in the contract. And because you're on a blockchain, that's fully distributed. But even then, it's, uh, it's kind of abstract to use it. Like if you're used to going to google.com and now you're going to some IPFS gateway slash IPFS slash, you know, a 38 character hash or something like that. Like it's, it's not uh, intuitive at all. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, time will tell that it, I had never heard of that technology before you mentioned it. And I was just looking around and I was like, man, this is, I mean, just on the face of it, it's just kind of crazy. Yeah. It's a really cool idea too, just for um, the guy trying to get his website out there and you don't want to pay for hosting, but this will give you really perfect scalability to where, you know, if 10 people use your site, then it's distributed between the 10. But if a million people go to your site, it's distributed between them rather yeah. than you to every single peer. I mean, so, that's, that's the, the kind of crazy talk that puts Amazon out of business, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. AWS, no more. S3, no more. 
<laughs> and then they're leveraging that too to build something called Filecoin. So Filecoin will pay you for your storage. So you can have this kind of proof of ownership or proof of hosting. Okay. So that you can be a part of this kind of like S3 alternative so that hmm. you can um, basically profit from your hard drive space and then affordably allow other people to have all their content, you know, distributed. On the Dang. Network. That's called Filecoin? Filecoin by yeah, Protocol Labs where the guys making IPFS happen. Dang. Yeah. That we'll have to put that in the show notes for sure. I'm sure people. Are yeah. Gonna... Yeah. Right now you can jump on and I think, uh, they haven't released it on mainnet yet. So it's still just being tested. I think they're still trying to write it and go. Okay. But it'll be here soon. You'll be able to jump in and start mining and beat the rest of the crowd. Crazy, man. That's wild, man. Um, let's see here. So how did you get started programming Ethereum? I was one of the early guys in Bitcoin. Okay. But only from like a, like I could see the potential, but I didn't put my money where my mouth was. Mm -hmm. So I jumped in when it was down like $2, $5 and Whoa. I bought a few and I bought like, you know, several more and I felt really good about it. You know, I had, let's say 40 Bitcoins feeling really good. And then I sold them for $10 and it was like, <laughs> yes, I doubled my money, you know? I successfully yeah. got in the market and made an effective trade. And then you just see the chart and then you keep seeing the chart. And it's like, maybe when it comes back down, I'll buy back in. And then yeah. you see the chart. And then, you know, I buy back in when it's at like $8,000. So yeah. then from there, I've been wanting to, you know, find another opportunity to get in this as a speculator, but really just get in for, you know, the, the developer grind. Mm -hmm. So with Ethereum, it's still kind of in those early days where I think right now it's only $150 for Ether. Mm -hmm. So there's still opportunities to get in and start working. Yeah. So I got in um, one of the earlier versions of Solidity. You know, it's interesting with these new technologies because as you're learning about them, they're changing. So you'll get in and you're writing, you know, Solidity spec you know 0. Point whatever and then now it's you know 0. 0.6 and the functions you were writing before are now written like this and then as you finally understand solidity they go okay and here's a new language viper you know so now you're playing with viper and it'll allow you to publish ethereum smart contracts in the language that's more like pythonic huh so it's just a, a constantly changing field like so much of this comes back to just saying nimble and staying flexible. Yeah. Wow. You've really got to have really a passion. Technology. Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. So, uh, once you got started in that, what I'm sure the wheels started turning, like what are the big use cases that you're kind of most excited about with, uh, Ethereum, I guess, smart contracts, that sort of thing. With Bitcoin, it's cool because they're fungible and they're, you know, divisible out to so many decimal places. And mm -hmm. one Bitcoin is the same as any other Bitcoin. They're dollars, basically. But with Ethereum, because you have access to this low-level programming environment that's like a, a global computer that's just mirrored everywhere, you can do things like um, have unique tokens. And it turns out like people actually like this idea of having a single token, indivisible, that represents something in the real world or something in the network. So 
there's this game on Ethereum called CryptoKitties. Mm-hmm. And with CryptoKitties, you're basically like breeding these virtual cats and then you're <laughs> fighting those with other people and you're trading them. And then because it's based on like this cryptographic hash, there's a certain like uniqueness into each one that gives you some probability of having different attributes. And then depending on how rare those are, you end up creating these like digital collectibles, you know, like baseball cards or like Pokemon, but in this smart contract. And because these smart contracts are composable, other people can interact with your like digital assets without even needing to request your permission. So you can have another one with like dragons that will consume these cats. Now you have this other game that's playing off of crypto kitties and it's a uh, really wild stuff, man. It's uh they, they gamified it, it a little bit. Yeah. So it seems like, and the collectible thing, like, yeah, people love collectibles. Huh? And then just like mathematical, like provable rarity that you have this, you know, <laughs> you have this number basically that lets you play this game. Huh? Man. So now they've started building on top of this, like uh, taking Minecraft. And then from Minecraft, you go crypto voxels. And then now there is a, like a peer to peer game where you can own these virtual properties. And some of the listings are like expensive. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like it's just, you know, it's a, uh, it's a Minecraft clone, but built on top of these newer technologies and you can, own this real estate using this digital token and I can transfer that to someone else. I can put it up for auction and do all these different like crowd sales. Like it's crazy. Cool idea. Another one I saw that was really cool was using like they have these stable coins that are built on Ethereum and -hmm. then they have these lending networks and you can do something like a no loss lottery, which is probably pretty difficult to do in the real world where I can say, we're going to collect, you know, some small fee from everyone to play this game. And then rather than taking all of those proceeds and then just giving it to one winner, as you do in a lottery, where it's a gamble, we take all of the proceeds and we invest it. And then we do that in our lending protocol. And then now that will accrue some interest we give everybody back their initial or the initial investment to where you don't lose any money and one guy gets the interest and it's a no loss lottery. What the heck? Like it's a great idea. And that's the kind of stuff you can do with these smart contracts where everything's like mathematically provable. Huh? No one has to foot the bill. Man, that's uh, man. I, I gotta, I gotta study up on this. Yeah. The stuff you're talking, man. Or another one is like quadratic payments where you can do these different systems where rather than me giving you a dollar and I lose one and you gain one, I can do something where five of us give you one dollar and you gain more than five because we can scale the different payments by some, you know, scalar. And then now because you're providing some good that the community benefits from, because we're showing so much support, you get some kind of amplification of that. Hmm. All these things can be written in the contracts. It's, it's just confusing how one plus one could equal three. Like, yeah, yeah like, you can mint it out of thin air. And <laughs> it's only money because we believe it's money. 
Oh man. I mean, I guess it is kind of happening in the real world though. When the government, uh, it's like bailing, bailing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, I, I have heard something about those, um, uh, what are their non fungibles? Is that what the collectible yeah, is yeah, called? NFTs, non fungible tokens. Yeah. It's like so, a digital collectible. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard of those with like, so I know in certain like MMO games, you'll have equipment or something like that but now they're they're making these tokens where it's like transferable between game platforms yeah yeah take it right out of the game take it with you give it to a friend or sell it on this open auction that has nothing to do with that yeah Yeah, it's cool man there's so maybe gaming has like it's hard to say what might drive the demand for this but gaming is freaking huge like sure or even real estate you know right if you can just uh codify all that and then remove the middleman dang what do you think is more exciting than like uh the whole advent of the blockchain or this uh ai data science thing or are they kind of not really separable you know we're still early in all of this yeah so ethereum and bitcoin are so cool but still it's so hard to actually get this like if you're just trying to grab a few ether real quick it's not an easy process. Yeah. So I'm still waiting for the point when you can just go to the grocery store and buy a little gift card for Ether and that just works on your phone. Yeah. That's still a long way out. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's wild. Um, And even like the AI stuff, it's really cool to get into, but I know like real soon it's all gonna change. Like if you start learning how to do TensorFlow architecture right now and you're learning how to like, construct these dense networks and how to do these convolutional networks. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine in like five years, you just run some Python library at it and then just say best fit. And right. all of that's you know, just provided out of the box and you can try to do it yourself, but it won't have that level of performance of what just works out of the box. Yeah. Huh. So I'm kind of just waiting for those moments when things just start working for everyone. Yeah. And we're not like just, tinkering with all this stuff under the hood that's uh just mindless complicated. yeah <laughs> man so knowing what the the little can of worms that you just opened up here it's like where where do you spend your time you know you want to be you want to be proactive and try and learn this stuff but you yeah. it's almost like in the back of the head your your head you know like this is like tiddlywinks or like child's play like the yeah, real thing like isn't even here yet yeah, it's like this wave you're trying to ride and it's difficult not to fall off or to, you know, fall behind. Yeah. Huh. I don't know how you stay on it other than just uh, keep trying. Just dabble periodically, try and make, yeah, yeah. read. Oh, man, that's crazy. Um, I I was trying to recall the, because uh, you had mentioned something about medical um like medical applications for blockchain or maybe that's what you'd mentioned something about, Oh, with the X-ray and getting access oh, yeah. to this data and everything. Yeah. That's um, another one too where um, like the latest thing everybody's trying to push for is like um, AI that you can understand, like so that it's less of a black box. In other words, one of the things you come across when you're doing these trained models mm-hmm. is you can make these predictions and I can make these classifications, but if I'm solely making a classification, I can't know for sure what's being used to make that determination without 
pulling that out somehow. Yeah. So when we were doing this homework assignment for Siraj, you would be able to say, you know, with 95% certainty, this looks like pneumonia. But then you would find out it's making that diagnosis because that photo was taken like with the sensors on the person. And it's unlikely that anyone without pneumonia is going to have these sensors on them. So the model is looking at something like completely different from what you're actually trying to like study. (laughs) So, so much of this is, um, you know, understandable AI and uh, trying to find some way to make that better. Huh, man, that like, and getting back to the whole financial thing you were talking about where they obfuscate the data so insanely, like you would never, the, the equivalent of what you're talking about, you would never be able to see those things connected to the body. You would exactly. never, it would just be obfuscated. Yeah. All you'll know is that with 95% accuracy, we can make these diagnoses and maybe that's better than a radiologist or maybe it's not in some narrow instances. And then it's like this sensitivity versus specificity issue of, is it okay if you're able to make that accurate diagnosis with, you know, some level of false negatives or false positives? Or do you need to know what it's actually doing? Do you have to be able to understand the algorithm? And if you yeah. can't understand it, you know, do you want that public data out there? If it yeah. makes the model better, you know, if we all benefit from it, is it worth that public sacrifice of this privacy? Yeah. To be able to save some lives. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, Ooh, you start a revolution uh, going down that path, I guess. <laughs> Because <laughs> people yeah. are just so like polarized in, in how they uh, see things. It's crazy. Yeah. There's this project uh, on the Ethereum blockchain called Solve. And Solve is doing um, uh, everything. It's, it's all related to medical. So they, it's like a way to like no longer do I have to get my doctors involved when I am taking my records from one place to the next. And I guess like in, not in America, this is actually like a huge problem where you have, like you actually like have your medical records, but with Solve, it's kind of like a way of like authenticating, like these are not tampered with, these are my medical records. And then yeah. there's like a payment system integrated with it. So it sounds like a cool idea. Like the problem I see with so much of this is like, can you convince your doctor to install an Ethereum on his computer? Yeah. Is he going to know what to do with any of this? Is yeah, that's... Time? Or does he just want like a piece of paper that works? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like we need uh, multiple gen, like we need people that have grown up with this as like the norm for multiple generations for it to be kind of like a, yeah, it needs to just be quick and easy. Yeah. Everybody wants crazy, man. So, um, well, I might be able to answer. Well, I'll just ask this anyway. Uh, where is the hype uh, mainly trash on crypto, in your opinion? <laughs> what was that? I'm sorry. Uh, where, where is the hype like mainly trash on crypto, in your opinion? Like, uh, like is all the hype like, like it's like it is hype, but it's kind of like, yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. I, or is it yeah. just, is there just some places where it's like, dude, that's. I mean, that's the trash. problem is you had so many people just spinning up their own blockchains for the chase of cool technology without the actual problem solving aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So 
if you're not able to vet whether something does solve a problem, and if you're just looking at this new tech, you might invest in it and you might soon lose your investment. So that's kind of rampant in the community. Yeah. So it's, um, there's a few that are just solid and well-deserved hype. And then there's a bunch that may not, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, that's so uh, it, it sounds like from an investment standpoint, of course, there's no like investment advice here, but no. it seems like it would be in your best interest to um, know the pro, like the pro, the technology, like you can't just sure. like be like, oh, I like this philosophy of, um, yeah. investing in things that you actually believe in and things you actually use right. rather than things that someone else said was cool. <laughs> you know yeah yeah it makes a not lot of sense name, man. not to name any coins but <laughs> i have my own cryptocurrency <laughs> nice what which one is it if you don't mind me asking it's just uh just a proof of concept so there's different ways you can do um consensus so a lot of them are based on proof of work once you have proof of work you can move to like proof of stake and then i was doing one that's proof of burn so okay. the idea being, if you're going to create an NFT or a non-fungible token, rather than simply minting that, you would take this other finite asset and it would be destroyed when this thing's created. So that first thing is just always dropping down in supply while you're creating these other unique NFTs to try to mimic in the real world how we have these finite resources that are destroyed and creating these other things. So then when you looked at this NFT, you could see it and say, there were you know, 2000 burn-in tokens that were destroyed in this thing's minting. So it mm. has an inherent digital value of, you know, 1000, whatever. Yeah. So that was the idea, it's Bernie.co, B-U-R-N-I.co. Okay, yeah, I, th I think I saw that uh, project on your, like one of your- It's just a proof of concept, it's, it's not for, you know, real yeah. world speculation just to see involved in spinning up a smart contract that has this internal supply that yeah. can be turned into this other thing. And then how do you list all that on some open crypto exchange hmm. and then just put all that source code out there so everyone can look at it and just see, you know, what are the internals? How do I do this myself? Yeah. Now, so if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like we have this gold bar but that gold bar gets destroyed when I make gold watches and exactly. And, okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Okay. That's and cool. Then you layer onto that, this idea of two unique addresses. So I can set an IPFS hash one time and that one time can point it towards some either physical object or at some metadata so that I can say this single token has this one D that was like stamped onto it that we can never change. And then everyone can trade this thing, whether that's a piece of artwork. So people can buy this piece of art and then trade that, or they can update this updatable, you know, mutable address. And then that can represent whatever I want to say about this or whatever I want to add to this ledger. Hmm. So that's the idea of this uh, burn in token. Crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see how that all transpires, man. That's very, uh, very unique. And 
yeah. seems practical. Like if you're talking about modeling the real world, yeah. then like, you know, these things like raw materials get right. turned into other things. Yeah. But, it's cool, but then it's like, yeah, but why though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, the, you know, eh. yeah. uh, that's nerds. That's just what we're all about. Okay. We don't, yeah, it's we, that shiny new tech. <laughs> that's hilarious, man. All right. So the, uh, this is a question I, I ask everybody when they come on the show. Uh, and then after this, you're pretty much off the hook, but, uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Mm, the best piece of advice I've ever received. Yeah follow your dreams. <laughs> no, it's, it's just about, um, just staying true to yourself and just yeah. do whatever it is that drives you. Yeah. Try not to, uh, listen to the haters. <laughs> Play with some shiny tech periodically. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Nice, man. That's cool. Um, as far as books go, what is like the most important book you think, uh, we should read in 2020 and it doesn't have to be like a techie book on my desk. Writing an interpreter and go. <laughs> nice. It's, it's a cool book, but I think a lot of it right now is just mindset and then just uh, learning to uh, learning to get through things. You know. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Trying to think of like a good book. Um, any of the good Stoic philosophy would be great to pick up. Like it has nothing to do with development, but it has so much to do with life. If you can just pick up some Marcus Aurelius or some Seneca, you'll have like, you'll have a good time. Nice. Excellent. Uh, what are some top programming languages to look, look into going into 2020 here? Golang. Um, Viper. I mean, if you're coming from Python and if you want to dabble with some of this Ethereum tech that we're talking about, Viper is a cool new language. It's weird the way it's been developed to where you have the Ethereum machine code. And then on that, you have this first language they developed called Solidity, which kind of behaves like a typed JavaScript, not to be confused with TypeScript. And then now they've done like a typed Python. And it's impressive that they're really just able to spin up their own language and then deploy it and then, you know, hmm. build a whole blockchain on this tech. But um, yeah, Piper, check that out. Yeah, I have, I've not heard of that. So Yeah, it's, it's brand new, and it's one of these things where it's a work in process. Like, it's a beta language. Okay. So what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, if you're learning a new language and the language is beta, a lot of what you're learning is going to change. It's not going <laughs> to be applicable to, you know, Viper production. Yeah. But that also means if you get in and if you don't like something, you can, you know, submit whatever your changes are and try to get that pushed into the language. Mm, so you can influence it right yeah, now. It's a, it's a unique opportunity to kind of shape where this goes. Wow. Hmm. So I did um, a few contributions just to the ERC-721 Viper token. <laughs> so it's cool. You can get in, you can get on <laughs> GitHub and just say like, in the documentation, you know, I would prefer if it was written this way. And then huh. push it in. The, the beauty of uh, open source, I guess. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, just uh, keeping an eye over uh, different opportunities. Yeah, excellent, man. Well, uh, what is like the message that we should leave the audience with today after all, all these topics that we talked about? Get out there and start building. 
You know, a lot of this is just about getting in, downloading some of these packages, and then just seeing where it leads. It's great if you can direct that in some like towards some endpoint. But I would just get in there and just see what you can start building. Excellent. Awesome, man. And uh, as far as like the call to action here, where can we go find you? What must we do as soon as we get off the podcast? That sort of thing. The platform is yours. My main social platform is just Twitter. Okay. I find that for me is one of the easier ones to to just uh, get out there and kind of do a stream of conscious. So it's twitter.com slash iRyanBell because Ryan Bell was, I think, in use. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make sure that the link is in there for him as well. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, man. I'm out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, man, I had a ton of, a ton of fun here. This was, this was, uh, I didn't know we were going to go to some of these places, but I'm glad we did. Yeah. Good times. (laughs) Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Well, uh, yep. That's the show folks. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Peace.